We inherit certain qualities from our parents. When a child is born, they receive the DNA from their parents. In the same way, we're all descended from Adam. And so sin is in our very DNA. This is season 10 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I want to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. And God's Word is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. Our epistle lesson this morning comes from the book of Romans, reading from chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's found in the New Testament on page 156. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses even when those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, So one man's acts of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So for the season of Lent, we will be looking at the letters that Paul wrote to various churches. Now, although we speak of these epistles as Paul's letters, we are reminded that ultimately the author of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And so these are not just the opinions of one man, but given to us by inspiration of the Spirit of God. They are part of the biblical canon for a reason. And so we are looking at what it means to be reconciled to God. And today we're going to be reading uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, how that reconcil- uh, reconciliation was accomplished by the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ. Let us now prepare our hearts and minds to receive this word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for wisdom and knowledge to be given to us this day by your Holy Spirit. Instruct us by your grace and your love. Fill us with understanding that we may live by your word and share these truths with the world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One frequent complaint I hear about my sermons, apart from the length of them, is that I don't include enough jokes. (laughs) 
So uh, here's one. Uh, a man goes to the doctor. And the doctor says, I have good news and I have bad news. Man says, well, give me the good news first. Doctor says, we're naming a disease after you. <laughs> That's why I don't tell jokes, see? <laughs> they, they don't work. Let me try another one. All right. Um, man goes to the doctor, uh, and then the doctor calls him up, and he says, I have good news, and I have bad news. He says, you have 24 hours to live. Guy says, oh, my gosh. What's, what, what's the good news? He says, that was the good news. I forgot to call you yesterday. <laughs> okay, that was a little bit better, right? <laughs> you know, as Christians, we talk about the good news. Uh, the word gospel. It's an old English word that means good news. But sometimes, in order to appreciate how good the good news is, we need to hear the bad news first. When you go to the jeweler, and you go to buy a diamond ring, and usually there's one diamond that's set in the middle. They take that diamond out and they place it on a piece of black velvet, and it makes the diamond seem even more brilliant. And this is why we often see street evangelists telling people they're going to hell. The problem is, if we can't convince people that they're going to hell, it doesn't make heaven seem all that sweet. So what Paul is doing in his letter today is he's showing why we, as the human race, deserve the wrath of God. That's the bad news. And then he brings in the good news. So first, the bad news. Verses 12 through 14. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all, because all have sinned. Now, the word therefore, we've talked about it before. It's a summation of everything that came before. Now, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5 in the upcoming weeks. Uh, but the main thrust of what Paul is summing up here in his therefore is that we have been at enmity with God. But now we have peace with him through Christ. And so, given that, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. You see, sin and death are inextricably linked. Death came into the world through the sin of one man. And death persists because all sin. We read about this in Genesis today. It said, you know, God gave him one commandment of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, why is Paul saying it's the sin of one man? Someone might argue, wasn't it Eve that sinned first? In a way. But here's the thing. When he was asked by the serpent, did God say, really, that you can't eat of any tree in the, in the garden? She said, we can eat of any tree, but the tree in the middle of the garden, we can't eat, eat it or touch the fruit of it or else we will die. Now, God didn't say that, which means, tells me, because, by the way, he wasn't even around 
when God gave that commandment to Adam, which means that Adam had to pass that commandment on to Eve. And he did a poor job of it. He didn't emphasize the reason for it. And then we read later on that she gave some of the fruit to her husband who was there. He's standing right there listening to this conversation between his wife and the serpent. And he said nothing and didn't object when she handed him the fruit that God specifically told him not to eat. And that's why his sin is counted and not hers. So verses 13 through 15, or 13 through 14, 13 and 14. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So there was one rule for Adam to follow, and he broke it. Okay? Between that time and the giving of the law to Moses, sin continued to abound. And we say, how? How is that possible if, if we're not breaking the commandments of God? Well, because once sin was introduced in the first person, then it began to spread throughout all people. We inherit certain qualities from our parents. We resemble them in image. We, we, uh, we're told in the Bible that God made man in his own image, but then when Adam has a son named Seth, it says that Seth was born in the image of Adam. What do we do? We, know, we understand nowadays that when, uh, when a child is born, they receive bits of the DNA, as it were, from their parents. And so they resemble their parents. They might have the eyes of their father, the nose of their mother, the ears of their grandfather, you know? And, and you look at this child and you know that that child belongs to that family. In the same way, we're all descended from Adam. And so sin is in our very DNA. We have inherited this sin nature all the way back from the very first person who sinned. In Hosea, it says, uh, Hosea chapter 6, it says that like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. They dealt faithlessly with me. That was God speaking to Hosea about the people of Israel. See, God made a covenant with the people of Israel and they broke it. And they broke it over and over and over again. Even when God was faithful to his part of the covenant, and he always was, he never broke his part of the covenant. Yet he, the, the, the nation of Israel would break it over and over and over again. How? Because they kept chasing after idols, false gods. In Romans chapter 3, again, we're, we're talking about the law. Okay, between Adam and Moses, there was no law to speak of. God kept making covenants with his people. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with, uh, with Abraham. And he reinforced that covenant with Isaac and with Jacob and with the sons of Jacob. But until Moses came along, there was no law that was written down. It was given by God's mouth. 
once we received the law, we began to see just how sinful we were. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We understand what sin is through the law, but that doesn't prevent us from breaking the law. I've, I've heard this argument on um, this podcast that I listened to. Whether or not, if, if the speed limit is 50 and you're driving 51, are you breaking the law? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, you are. You're breaking the law. The law says 50 you shall go and no faster. And you're going 51. Might seem like not a lot. You might drive past the cop driving uh, 51 miles an hour and the cop will go, not worth it. Doesn't mean you didn't break the law. You broke the law. With God, it's different. We look at those things and we say, oh, I'm just, you know, it's just a little white lie. But a lie is a lie. A lie is a transgression. And every sin that we commit, we commit against God. And so I've talked about it before, about the authority of God and, and the authority of the one against whom we have sinned. So the example goes like this. If, if, I, if I lie to my son and he finds out about it, he might be mad at me, but he really has no authority over me. So he can't punish me, right? If I lie to my wife, oh, she has some authority, you know, I'll probably spend the night on the couch, right? If I lie to my boss, I could lose my job. If I lie to the government, I could be thrown in jail. So as the level of authority increases, so increases the punishment for the same sin. And since God is infinite and eternal, any sin, no matter how small that we commit against him, is worth an infinite and eternal punishment. We call that hell. We don't like to talk about it, but it's the bad news. It's the black velvet that we lay the diamond of grace upon. Now, Adam was a type of the one to come. We've talked about types and archetypes. Not, the, the sins of the people were not like those of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. So Adam is a type of the one who was to come. He was the first man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So all throughout Paul's writing, he keeps referring to Adam as like the first man. He's the type of Christ, because Christ is the firstfruits of the dead, who gave his life righteously, obediently, for our sakes, so that we can have eternal life in him. And when he was raised to new life in the resurrection, then he offers to us new life in him, you see. So Adam, we inherit our sin nature from Adam, we inherit or, or, or are imparted righteousness from Christ.
Christ. And let's get into the good news now, because that's enough of the bad news. It's a lot. The bad news is bad. That's why it's called the bad news. But the good news is so much better in light, or I should say in the darkness, of the bad news. So, verses 15 through 17, I'm going to read all three verses, and we're going to go through each verse. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Stop there for a minute. So this is the good news. This is the good news. We just told that we inherited sin and death from our first parent. And now we're told, but, but, that's great. Okay, when we're being told some bad news and then somebody says but that means there's good news to follow and that's what he says here the free gift now i don't know if you were counting but as i was reading that five times in those three verses we see the phrase the free gift now i like that it says the free gift okay but i'm going to tell you that the greek word is slightly different. In fact, there's three different Greek words that are used in those five times, okay? And you're going, I really don't care. <laughs> it's, it's all Greek to me, right? Um, but this is why I care, because I want to know, what is Paul trying to convey? The first time we see the words free gift, it is the word charisma, Charisma. Charisma, you might have heard of charismatic churches. Charismatic churches are focused heavily on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. And so in this case, charisma is a divine gratuity or spiritual endowment. It's something that is given to us by God. That helps us in our life with him. Okay? It's a gift that is freely given. It's something that we don't earn. Now, have you ever given a gift to somebody? And maybe it was an extravagant gift. Or maybe you have received an extravagant gift. And thought to yourself, this is too much. Or if you've given a gift to somebody and they, they, they turn around and they say to you, well, what do I owe you for this? That's not the point. The point it was, is it was a gift. It was given in love. There's no expectation of anything in return. And it's the same with God's grace. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the free gift. His charisma his divine gratuity, his spiritual endowment is a free gift. Now, the other two words are very similar in, to each other, but not to charisma. They are dorea 
and dorema, okay? They mean slightly different things. Dorea is a gratuity, like a tip that you would give to a, to a, uh, uh, a server for good service. But that still speaks of something that is kind of earned, right? Dorema is a bestowment, an endowment. It's something that is given to somebody with nothing, with nothing expected and no expectation in return, right? So we see this word, this phrase, free gift over and over and over again. And I've got to be honest with you. I, the, the Holy Spirit inspires the Bible. And there is an economy to God's word, especially in a time when these were written down on scrolls that were expensive and had a set length. And so you only have so much room to write. When you see something that is repeated in God's word, especially here, five times we see this gift over and over and over in three short verses. It should get our attention. It should say to us, this is important. Pay attention to this. And so we're focusing on the free gift. So verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. So here we see the free gift, the charisma, is not like the trespass. If, many, if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift, the dorea, the gratuity, uh, in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Okay? So, the whole sentence starts with the word but. So, it indicates that what follows is a negative comparison to what came before. If what came before was the bad news, it's the good news. As Adam is contrasted with Christ, so the free gift of grace is contrasted with sin and death. So verse 16. And the free gift, now there is derema. The free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass through, uh, brought condemnation, but the free gift, the charisma, following many trespasses brings justification. So, in the same way that justification is contrasted with condemnation, condemnation leads to death, while justification leads to life. Okay? Justification Life, condemnation, death. Sin, condemnation, death. Free gift of grace. Justification, life. That's the contrast that we're seeing between these two things. Between Adam and, between, and Jesus. That condemnation is a result of one trespass is the basis for the doctrine of what we call original sin. Now, in our Articles of Religion, uh, which we inherited from the Anglican Church, uh, but were modified by John Wesley, Article 7 speaks of original 
or birth sin. And it says this, original sin stands not in the following of Adam, as the Pelagians do vainly talk. I'm not going to talk about the Pelagians, but it's not because we follow Adam, but it says it is the corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered of the offspring of Adam, whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and of his own nature inclined to evil and that continually. That's, that's the state of human beings when we're born. There was an original righteousness until Adam sinned. And that corruption brought corruption into the family of human beings. And so all who are descended from Adam have also inherited that sin nature. Like I said before, it's in our very DNA. And that's what original sin tells us. Now, note the parallel progression in verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, people have been saying, you know, is the sacrifice of Jesus enough? Well, the sin of Adam was enough to bring sin into the world. The righteousness of Christ was enough to eradicate that sin, to, to remove that from us, to restore to us to original righteousness. So Adam's sin brought death through condemnation. Jesus' righteousness brought life through the free gift of grace. So all that's the good news. So verses 12 through 14, bad news. 15 through 17, good news. Now let's see them side by side. That's what he's going to do in these next verses. So we see a compare and contrast between the death we receive as a result of sin and the life we receive as a result of righteousness. This is the good news in light of the bad news or against the backdrop of the darkness of the bad news. We'll put it that way. It's the diamond of grace on that velvet, that black velvet of sin. All right, verse 18. Therefore, again, therefore, he's summing up again. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. He's proving his point. He's using logic and, and reason to bring us to a point where we understand that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for us. It was one sin that brought death into the world. It was one act of righteousness that restored men to life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, For as by a man, a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He uses this contrast all the time, saying we inherited our sin nature from Adam, but we are inheriting righteousness and eternal life from Christ, who is the better Adam. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3, Peter writes, 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the good news. That's what we're looking for. So verse 19, for just as by the, again, we're doing side-by-side comparisons. For just as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Sin is disobedience to God. Jesus' act of righteousness was his obedience to God in taking the sin of mankind to the cross when he had no sin of his own. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 says that being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, The next two verses, verses 20 and 21, are not part of the lectionary, and I think that's really unfortunate because they present some of the best news of all. So let's read them here. Verse 20, But the law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news. The good news, or the bad news, is we deserve God's wrath. We deserve death because of sin. We don't understand one thing. I hear a, a lot of people complain and say, well, what about, you know, why would God um, put people in hell because they don't believe in Jesus, right? That's not why, we, why people go to hell. People go to hell because of sin. People die because of sin. But if we believe in Christ... If we have faith in him, then we are saved. That's the difference. It's not that he puts, it's not that God sends people to hell for not believing in Christ. It's that he rescues them from hell for believing in Christ. See, there's a big difference. Now, where there is the law, it increases sin. The law is a mirror that shows us how sinful we are. How many of you have one of those magnifying mirrors, right? Nobody really? Am I the only one? Or, or everybody hates the way that you look in? You know, that's why I, I don't like it. I hate it. In fact, we have a mirror that on one side is like a regular mirror, and then on the other side it has like a 3X and a 5X. I hate that 5X one because it makes my pores look like craters on the moon, right? Well, that's what the law does. The law shows us just how sinful we are. The law is a mirror that shows us that we need a Savior. And where there is more sin, it makes grace that much greater. You know, Jesus had a woman who was crying and, and, and she was pouring her tears on his feet and she was wiping those tears with her hair. And the guy who whose house he was at was Simon, a leper. And he was a Pharisee. And he, he said, you know, he thought, just thought to himself, I don't know that Jesus would allow this woman to touch him if she knew, if he knew what kind of woman she was. And so he told this parable. He said, you know, one man owed 
a king a week's wage. And the king forgave that debt. Another man owed that same king $3 billion. I'm just making that number out of the air. And the king also forgave that debt. And he said, which of those do you think will love the king more? And Simon said, probably the guy who had the bigger debt. Which is true. And he said, because she has been forgiven much, she loves much. You see? And so... Where there is more sin, it makes grace that much greater. The good news is much greater in light of the bad news. When we, especially as sinners, when we come to the realization, like the, like the, like the prodigal son, we, when we come to ourselves and we go, you know, to serve my father or to serve God is better than to be dying here with the pigs. And so we go to the Father, and the Father, He doesn't just have us serve Him, He restores us as a child of His. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, it says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? This is Paul's, Paul's confession. He says, By no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. I can totally identify with that because, you know, you read the Ten Commandments and you come to the Tenth One and it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or the house that he lives in. Or, and you're like, covet? What's that? And then what do you do? It's like if I were to say to you right now, don't think of the word elephant. Don't do it. And what are you thinking of? Elephant, right? It's just, <laughs> the law is the same way. Unfortunately, because we're sinful, right? Don't covet. What's coveting? Oh, I want to do that, you know? But sin, he says, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And verse 21, this is so great. Uh, this, is, this verse right here is so great, it made me late for an appointment yesterday because I was doing this. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here it is made plain that death has been vanquished by the righteous act of Christ's obedience. Where sin leads to death, grace leads to eternal life. And Paul makes this very plain in the very next chapter when he writes, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift, the charisma, the endowment from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're presented with the good news here in light of the bad news. The bad news is that we're all sinners. We have inherited the sin nature from our first parent, Adam, who disobeyed God and brought death into the world through his disobedience. Sin is in our very DNA. We are born in sin and all would be hopeless except for the perfect obedience of one man, Jesus Christ. He was the only righteous one and he bore our sin to the cross so that in him we may be made alive. We are no longer slaves to sin, but Christ has given us new life by his spirit. And so the bad news is we are sinners, we deserve death. The good news is Christ bore our death 
and satisfied the payment for our sin so that we may have eternal life in him. No longer does sin reign over us. God's grace covers us in the blood of the spotless lamb and death passes us over. In this Lenten season, let us embrace the good news as we look forward to the cross at Calvary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit which has given to us these words of Paul today. This wisdom is from above. It's not like the wisdom of the world that tells us that we owe it to ourselves to do what makes us feel good. We thank you that through Christ we have been rescued from sin and death. We know we don't deserve it, but you offer us this gift of grace freely. Let us therefore present this good news to our families, to our friends and neighbors, to all the world, that sinners may be saved and grace abound. And may you be glorified in all things. For we ask it in Christ our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode. My hope and prayer for you is that today's teaching has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. God has also blessed me by calling me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pedricktown. If you live in the area and don't have a faith community of your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We are Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Christ-adoring congregations in the heart of New Jersey's farmland. And we also have Bible study during the week. Of course, if you don't live in the area, get involved with the church where you are. We are not called to be Christians in isolation, but in community. So I would encourage you to live out your faith with a group of like-minded believers where you are. Now, if our message today has touched you in some way, won't you please let us know? Send us an email, drop us a comment, subscribe, and share this message with someone who needs to hear it. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until then, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.